January 6th will remain a day of infamy in United States history, but it's also an important day in Zionist history. January 6th, 1895, was the day Theodor Herzl wrote his article in the New Free Press about the degradation ceremony of Captain Alfred Dreyfus. What many people don't know, however, is that the way the Dreyfus affair is portrayed in Zionist institutions and its effect it had on Theodor Herzl is not true. Zionist legend has it, and in fact Theodor Herzl said so himself, that what made Herzl into a Zionist was the Dreyfus affair. The problem is, number one, that's not true. Herzl lied about that. Number two, the story, the way it's retold in Zionist lore, is not exactly what happened. The official version of the story, the way Zionists tell it over, is that in 1894, a Jewish captain in the French army by the name of Alfred Dreyfus was falsely convicted of treason for supposedly selling French military secrets to Germany. They sentenced him to life on Devil's Island. After his conviction, they performed what's called the degradation ceremony, where they paraded him in public in front of a crowd that yelled, Death to the Jews, or Death to the Jew, depending upon what book or article you're reading. This horrific event took place on January 5th, 1895. Two years later, evidence came out exonerating Dreyfus and implicating a different French military officer, a Major Esther Hazy, as the real spy. But the evidence was purposely ignored and hidden from the public. Nevertheless, there were people who pushed for the court-martial of Esther Hazy, and he was finally court-martialed in 1898, but found innocent. Two days later, the famous writer, Emil Zola, print, not Jewish, printed an open letter to the president of the French Republic in the newspaper L'Aurore, which means the dawn in French, called Jacques where he charged the French military, handwriting experts, and the judges involved in the case with a gigantic cover-up. Zola was arrested and convicted of libel, but managed to escape and flee to England. The Dreyfus affair caused an uproar in France, causing a new controversy about religious freedom, national identity, and emancipation. Dreyfus was brought to court again in 1899, and again he was convicted. But a few days after that, he was pardoned by the President of France. In 1906, he was finally reinstated into the French army. In 1899, Theodore Herzl wrote an article for the North American Review. They didn't publish it then, long story, in which he wrote, quote, The translation that I'm about to read comes from Henry J. Cohen in an article in Jewish Social Studies, April 1970. Quote, I was turned into a Zionist by the Dreyfus case, the original one in Paris, of which I was a witness in 1894. For the Jews, there's no other help and salvation than to return to their own nationhood and settle in their own land and territory. That's what I wrote in my book, The Jewish State, in 1895, under the shattering impression of the first Dreyfus case. End quote. 
The reason why this story is so important to Zionism and it was so important to Herzl, or so he claimed, was that France was the place of origin of the emancipation, the emancipation which was supposed to give everybody freedom of religion and treat everybody equally. It was the place that people put their hope that Jews would finally be treated like regular citizens. The idea that this can happen even in France suddenly and without warning, that a Jewish, not just a regular Jew, a Jew that served loyally in the army can be falsely accused of treason was bad enough, but then at the degradation ceremony, the real colors of the crowd, the French public suddenly came out. Suddenly, kill the Jews. Or other versions say, kill the Jew. Kill the Jews is, of course, worse. Though kill the Jew is pretty bad, as it is. Kill the Jews, they said. And indeed, after Emil Zola started campaigning for Dreyfus, anti-Semitic riots broke out. Dozens and dozens of riots, attacks on Jewish property and Jewish people ensued, and the governments, the mayors, and the actual army had to be called in to stop the riots. The police were ineffective, although they tried. For the Zionists, this story is invaluable because it shows that even in a place like France, in a time after the, not long after the emancipation, where the Jews finally hoped, hoped that anti-Semitism would end, suddenly anti-Semitism exploded again, suddenly and unexpectedly. And not only did anti-Semitism explode again, it showed when they said, kill the Jews as they were degrading Dreyfus that showed what was really inside the hearts of the French public. This shows that the Jews can't put their hope in anything, and even during the best time and place, where things seem the best, seems like the best time, seems like the best place, seems like the Jews are comfortable tomorrow, without warning, the real colors of the public around us can come out unexpectedly, spontaneously, and there you have it again, riots, persecutions, attacks. The only solution is to run to Israel. And when Herzl saw this, when he finally understood that, he became a Zionist. This story and its lesson is taught in all Zionist institutions, and it, it instills fear in Jews that tomorrow their next-door neighbors may break out in their true colors and show their anti-Semitic insides. And you never know, Jews can never be comfortable, we're being told. Jews can never be comfortable. And Theodore Herzl, the great visionary, realized it when he saw the crowd screaming, kill the Jews at Dreyfus's degradation ceremony. The problem is two things, well, really three things. First, contrary to popular belief and contrary to what Herzl himself wrote in his article, the crowd did not scream, kill the Jews. They didn't even scream, kill the Jew. The crowd chanted, kill the traitor. And we know this because when Herzl wrote the article in the New Free Press on January 6th, a day after the event, that's what Herzl wrote. He did not write that they said kill the Jews. He did not write that they said kill the Jew. He wrote that they said kill the traitor. He made up the story later and said they said kill the Jew or kill the Jews. 
This is not a secret. Scholars who have studied the event know this. But worse yet, in Hebrew translations of the article, the mob indeed chants death to the Jews, even though that's not what the original article said. Shlomo Avineri, Israel's perhaps best political scientist ever, says the fact that the translations and the books about Herzl all say that the crowd chanted death to the Jews is telling. Quote from his book Herzl's Vision. It's telling that in the Hebrew translation of the article that appears in nearly all the history textbooks used in Israeli schools and in most other Hebrew language books about Herzl, the mob chants death to the Jews. But that is not what Herzl wrote. Even if the epithet Judas, hurled at Dreyfus by his erstwhile fellow officers, but not by the crowd, certainly had anti-Semitic implications. So how did it come about that the Israelis have grown up believing that the French public shouted death to the Jews at Dreyfus? It was Herzl's own doing. It comes from his essay on Zionism, written in 1899 for the literary journal North American Review. The piece was later translated and published in German some years after the author's death in one of many anthologies of his writings. Herzl wrote this article on Zionism and the nature of European anti-Semitism in order to promote the Zionist cause among non-Jewish Americans. It was the only piece of writing in which he highlighted the Dreyfus case in a way he didn't in any of his other works, letters, or diary entries. On Zionism was written four years after the ceremony Herzl witnessed and after the affair had metamorphosed from a routine espionage case into a French and international cause celebre, end quote. Now, there are various different interpretations or excuses for Herzl making up this story. Avineri continues, Did Herzl's memory betray him, or was he tweaking the event better to promote his cause? We have no way of knowing some historians and editors who have addressed the subject have suggested that Herzl indeed reported the crowd as yelling death to the Jews, but that the New Free Press revised the text before printing it. Avineri says, of course, there are no grounds for this theory, nor any evidence for it. The paper's editors never censored Herzl's articles, and they often referred to Jewish issues and to anti-Semitism in France. There are various other interpretations or excuses for Herzl. Another example I have in one of my copies of Herzl's Diaries. This one was by Marvin Lowenthal, printed in 1956. So in the introduction, Lowenthal points out that, indeed, Herzl did not tell the truth when he said that the crowd said death to the Jews. And not only that, it's clear that Herzl also lied when he said that the Dreyfus trial made him into a Zionist. It's clear that Herzl was a Zionist before that. He wrote his play, The New Ghetto. Herzl was a playwright, by the way. He had many successful plays, some not so successful. And his play, called The New Ghetto, which was written in 1894, uh, clearly was what convinced him to become a Zionist. If you take a look at the play, he kind of convinced himself to be a Zionist. The New Ghetto, by the way, was Herzl's only play that had to do with um, anything Jewish. And in the Jerusalem Theater's website, jerusalemtheater.co.il, it says that it's surprising that, despite that, it has still never been performed in Israel. I would guess the reason it has never been performed in Israel 
because the Zionists want people to think that Herzl became a Zionist because of the Dreyfus affair. And the new ghetto was written before that. But in any case, Herzl also made up the idea that the Dreyfus affair made him into a Zionist. I have an idea about that, I'll tell you shortly. But first, Lowenthal writes um, about the Dreyfus affair in his introduction to this uh, Herzl's diaries. He says, Herzl witnessed the public degradation and in his ears rang with the howl of the mob, death to the traitor, or, as he remembered it three years later, death to the Jews. He telegraphed long dispatches on the events when they occurred, but no word about Dreyfus appears in his account of how he came to the Zionist idea when he sought to analyze the process in his diaries only four months after the degradation scene. In other words, Herzl invented this idea that the Dreyfus affair made him into a Zionist way after he became a Zionist, and he even discussed the Dreyfus affair in his diaries four months after the degradation scene, and he didn't mention a thing about him becoming a Zionist. Let me continue with Lowenthal. In truth, there was no Dreyfus affair to impress him in 1895. There was only the arrest and condemnation of an officer who chanced to be a Jew. Even though Herzl expressly stated in 1899 that the Dreyfus case had made him a Zionist, listen to this, it was at best an appropriate myth, a dramatic foreshortening of the facts. Yeah, okay. An appropriate myth. Dramatic foreshortening of the facts. Yet that's not what they teach in Zionist schools. And if Herzl was telling the truth, by the way, that the Dreyfus affair is what made him into a Zionist, it was such, had such a significant impact on his life, it doesn't seem likely that he would forget what the crowd cheered. He really thought it said kill the Jew, they said kill the Jews, when they really said kill the traitor. Something that changed his life, an event that gave him his calling. Well, could be, but it's not very likely, much more likely that he just, no, and there's no reason to assume that he didn't just lie and make up a story in order to dramatize his Zionist epiphany. Especially if you study Herzl and you know what type of person he is. There, there's no reason to believe that he didn't make up the story. And, and I'll tell you what I think why I think he made up this particular story, why he invented the idea that this became what made him into a Zionist, and he needed to be as dramatic as it did. Herzl was obsessed with himself. He had an ego the size of the universe, and especially his role as hero of the Jews and the Messiah Yes, the Messiah. That's how he looked at himself. Other people looked at him like that as well. Uh, I'll put all the sources in the show notes. But at the first Zionist Congress, he was described by his followers as, quote, a royal scion of the son of David, risen from the dead, clothed in a legend of fantasy and beauty. Herzl himself claims to have been, quote, excited by the Messiah legend. He even claimed that he had a dream when he was 13 years old about him and the Messiah. I'm not kidding. His dream went like this. The King Messiah came and took up Herzl when he was a kid in his arms into the heavens. 
where he met Moses. The Messiah, in the dream, told Moses, quote, It is for this child that I have prayed. Now that's a quotation from a biblical text. The biblical Hannah, Hannah said to her son Shmuel, Samuel, but this is what the King Messiah said to Moses in heaven about the 13-year-old Herzl who was standing there. It is for this child that I have prayed. And then the King Messiah turns to Herzl and instructed him, quote, Go declare to the Jews that I will come soon and perform great wonders and great deeds for my people and for the whole world, end quote. This is supposedly a dream that Herzl had. He claims that he had this dream. So with such a vivid imagination and inflated ego and his fantasy for playing the part of a biblical character, it would not surprise me if Herzl claimed it was the Dreyfus trial that set him on his roads to quote-unquote save his people in order to portray himself like Moses, who first set out on his career to redeem the Jewish people when, as the Bible says, he saw an Egyptian man striking a Jewish man in the book of Exodus chapter 2 verse 11. It seems entirely feasible that Herzl wanted to create for himself a story similar to the original Redeemer of the Jews, whose actions were first ignited by witnessing a Jewish man struck by a non-Jew. Herzl the Messiah, or really the agent of the Messiah. None of this is taught in the Zionist schools, by the way. Oh, and about the anti-Semitism, the lesson from the Dreyfus affair, the idea that Anti-Semitism can come spontaneously, explosively, out of nowhere when least expected in the best of times and places, and that that's what happened in the emancipated France? No, that's not true. That's not the way things unfolded. Unfortunately, the anti-Semitism of the Dreyfus trial, and by the way, it's not only anti-Semites who thought that Dreyfus was guilty, uh, Herzl's first article on Dreyfus's arrest on November 1st, 1894, said that Dreyfus was guilty. Not that Herzl wasn't an anti-Semite, but he wasn't the type of anti-Semite that would hate a secular Jew like Dreyfus. Herzl admittedly uh, wrote uh, an article based on rumors, he said, that may or may not be true. The next day, Herzl wrote another article about Dreyfus which also had slanderous things in it. He said that Dreyfus was known as a um, card gambler and was seen in Monte Carlo with a senior Italian officer. In any case, it was the unfortunate reality that France was rife with anti-Semitism way before the Dreyfus trial, particularly against Jewish officers in the army. Besides which, the whole Dreyfus uh, affair happened during a time where the French society was divided, and a lot of people didn't believe in the legitimacy of the Republic then. There was turmoil. Aside from that, the country was still reeling over what was called the Panama Scandal. Basically, France began building the Panama Canal um, in the 1890s, but because of corruption and bribery, the project went bankrupt well, the project went bankrupt because it was way over budget. But due to bribery and corruption, the French officials extended the project and continued 
at a loss without telling the investors. Eventually, the whole thing just blew up and uh, almost 2 billion francs, French francs were lost in those days to about 800,000 French investors. After this, France just was left out of the construction and America continued. There, the problem was that there were some Jews involved with this scandal, especially the investors Baron Jacques Reynac and Cornelius Hertz. They also were involved in the bribery. And this, as you can imagine, was leveraged by the anti-Semites to increase anti-Semitism. One particularly vile anti-Semite, a guy by the name of Edouard Drummond, who had previously published a book called Jewish France, of which 120 editions, I think more than 120 editions were published, which is uh, just a complete anti-Semitic dry, uh, diatribe. This Drummond started a anti-Semitic newspaper, ironically called in French, La Libre Parole, which means free speech, a completely anti-Semitic newspaper. He founded it in 1892. He was busy with uh, the Panama scandal and the Jews who, who were involved with it. He, in general, was campaigning against Jews altogether. It was a terribly anti-Semitic newspaper. And particularly, he was campaigning against having Jewish officers in the French army. This was a newspaper that was founded 1892, mark the date. Of course, he didn't miss any opportunity to take advantage of the Dreyfus trial. On November 1st, 1894, he ran a front-page story in his newspaper about talking about how a Jewish traitor was arrested. And after Dreyfus's first conviction, the headlines in his newspaper read, out of France, Jews, France for the French. Jacques Reynac, by the way, uh, eventually committed suicide because of the humiliation that he endured, largely due, apparently, to the work of the anti-Semitic newspaper entitled Free Speech. So, unfortunately, it was not in a vacuum, and it was not suddenly that the anti-Semitism of the Dreyfus trial came on the scene. It was unfortunately not that unexpected, not that surprising, not as anti-Semitic as Herzl made it sound. They did not scream, kill the Jew or kill the Jews, nor did it turn Herzl into a Zionist. Anti-Semitism is a terrible scourge, and it needs to be eradicated and opposed and fought however and wherever we can. But... The Zionist narrative does nothing to help the situation. On the contrary, the unrealistic nature of what the Zionists have taught and continue to teach and learn about anti-Semitism only serves to confuse and muddy the issue, nor is Zionism a solution or even a response to anti-Semitism. It actually makes anti-Semitism worse. Zionists never understood anti-Semitism, although they claim to be its biggest experts and their project, its solution. Theodor Herzl wrote at the end of his book, The Jewish State, that as soon as Zionism gets off the ground, well, let me quote you. Even if we just make a start with the plan, meaning the Zionist plan, anti-Semitism will cease immediately everywhere. For that is the peace treaty, 
Once the Jewish company is formed, that means the Zionist organization, the news will be carried within the day like lightning over telegraph wires. Immediately, things will become easier for us. Our overproduced middle-range intellectuals will flow out the middle classes into our first organizations. They will become our first technicians, officers, professionals, officials, lawyers, and doctors. Thus, the project will continue speedily and yet without major crisis. End quote. As soon as Zionism gets off the ground, anti-Semitism will cease everywhere. That's what Herzl thought. This was 1897. Anti-Semitism will cease everywhere, immediately. Hi. Honestly, I really wish Herzl was right about this, but apparently, just because you will something to be true, doesn't mean it's still not a dream. Herzl's fantasy of Zionism being a solution to anti-Semitism has no more chance of being true than his other dream, that the Messiah presented him to Moses as the Redeemer of the Jewish people. Thanks for listening to Committing High Reason. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. For the latest from Rabbi Shapiro and to sign up for his newsletter, head on over to committinghighreason.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.